So I thought I was the queen of Airbnb. Check the profile. I visited all the places. However, how can I truly be a queen if I have never been a host? Didn't even think about it, y'all. It's time to think about it because my place is cute. Why not share? I know. I got you thinking about it now. All right. Well, don't think about it. Be about it. Find out how you can be a host at airbnb.com slash host. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hi, it's Sugar Steve from Questlove Supreme. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So, check out Discover Cashback Debit a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right, cash back isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Course Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. What up, y'all? It's Laia, and it's time for another Questlove Supreme Classic. This time, we take you back to 2018 when Quest and Team Supreme sat down with legendary producer Salam Remy. I mean, we talk about everything, the craft of making hit songs, what it's like crate digging with Biz Markie, and his part in making the score with the Fugees. From April 25th, 2018, Salam Remy. Part one. But as a toddler, yeah. my shoes was kidney. My name is Fonte. Yeah. You can't believe it. Yeah. Shout out to Salam yeah. for the Worker Ram remix. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. My name is Sugar. Yeah. Only work with the best. Yeah. That's how I got to work on yeah. Lioness. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. I'm unpaid bill. Yeah. And you might not be a fan of me. Yeah. But you definitely hate. Yeah. Sean Hanley. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Boss Bill's my name. Yeah. Tossed out the rule book. Yeah. Hold up, is that Lauren over there? Yeah. Oh, made you an asshole. With Salam Remy. Yeah. I was trying to pick one of my favorite songs. Yeah. But you got so damn many. Roll call. Suprema. 
My name, yeah. I'm on the spot. Yeah, I'm glad Super Cat let me make it a red hot. I really hate the fact that I established how gullible I am. <laughs> like, I'm the kind of person that I was told once that uh, gullible isn't in the dictionary. And yeah, you just did that to me. Thank you, Foss Bill. I turned with the quickness. I wasn't sure if that was going to work either. I was surprised. I was surprised. Nah, that went off. That went off like gangbusters right there. It's troll mirrors. I was hoping all of you would have looked. You good. knew it because your inflection went up like major look. Yeah, I killed I, that I shit. I saw that he looked over there. I was like, yes, it landed. <laughs> Only because that was the wrong name to say, ladies and gentlemen. Exactly. Yes, the context. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. exactly. This is another episode of Quest Love Supreme. We have Team Supreme. We have. Fine, Tickle. Yeah, you know what? We haven't had brother sister rap at the beginning of the show for a second, and a lot's happened since then. How, how's it going since uh, your record? Um, it's going out? good. I'm redoing my master bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> First world problems. Boom. Hey, that's hey, that's not a new Real music world, world problems. problems. Yeah, yeah, hey, it's... wait, how you redoing your master bathroom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, how many bathrooms do you have? Well, there's a lot of houses. Two, uh, what three? Ooh, you got a good, you got a, I, like a Big Daddy Kane house in yeah, North Carolina. Yeah, what? I got like two, I have two full baths and then a half bath downstairs. So oh, it's man. technically three, but you know, one is just a half. So, so we were doing our massive bathroom. We adding the tub and we're redoing yeah, the shower, paint, uh, redid the vanity. Um, a countertop guy's coming to measure them tomorrow. Uh, we you got marbles in the house? Nah, we don't do marble. Brand that's that's no, shit. No, no Scarface. No black leather couches. No black no leather couches. We just did so we we uh, rules number one. We did two. granite. We went with granite, and it's a um, it's a uh, it's a it's a light. It's a it's like a light colored granite. I think the name is like black ice or something. It has a yeah, real yeah. light. Oh, so you keeping the walls white then? No, no, no. Walls Shout are like, out to uh, Fonte's countertop guy. Gray is a good color. Why no black couches? There was a yeah, Fonte thing for many years. Leather couches. That's Single, just, man. Yeah, that's a bad I never like leather, though. It's too hot. You go to yeah. sleep on that shit, you be sweating and shit. It doesn't matter. It's still a single man's piece of furniture. I never owned a leather couch. As a, southern man, a single man, I never did that. Okay. How's life? It's good. What you up to? I'm getting off I'm the couch. Talk about your hey, apartment. Yeah. Listen, turn up, nigga, turn up. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, yes, I have recently. I'm getting off the couch in Los Angeles, and I'm very excited that I. Did you get off the couch? That sounds you like you're off the couch. therapy. No, no, no. I can, I can get off the couch. She wants. To, no, I have a good girlfriend. Who wants me to stay. Okay. Kevin got a job, y'all. Listen, y'all. I'm proud. Manager. <laughs> Manager. Wait, where are you moving? Hollywood. Yeah. Where it's oh. good. Yes. Mm. Okay. She's got her fly one bedroom. I was looking at the tourist video of it today. Had nice towel I in the kitchen. approval. You got to get your work husband's approval of your place. It was really nice. The layout was nice. It was good. The appliances was updated. Hey, I'm proud of you. Thank you, sir. I'm feeling cool. really good. Thank you. Uh, Boss Bill. What? Uh. <laughs> 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 Boss Bill is getting angry. He is getting angry, angry. So much anger. <laughs> 
No, I'm gonna try that again. Oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> You're welcome. Again. I gave you that one. I gave you. Oh, that one. thank you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I'm paid bill. Yeah, it's been a minute since I've seen you. I love that. That's Paul the first time I heard that like, oh, and juice. <laughs> he just what? said what? It <laughs> <laughs> ruined the show for me. Goodbye. Oh, that was so good. I've only I've only heard that on my phone, not in context. That was fantastic. Yeah. I'm good. Uh, I bought a new house too. Wow! Yes. I said I got an apartment. What's up with you and? Are you like Fonte's uh, stand? I like to think so. He do it up. He do it up high to me. He. Do, now, I just did a bathroom. He did like a whole studio. Yeah. The whole night. Wait, where do oh, you wait, live? You I live in okay, Westchester, in Croton on Hudson, which sounds super white. How many Entities? bathrooms you got? Yeah. I also got, have two and a half bathrooms. Two and a half. What's your square footage? I don't know, like 2,500, 2,500, something like that. Close yeah. to three now. No, I used to. No, not anymore. Okay. But I'm building a studio in the basement, and uh, that's that. And I've been parenting for two weeks, and I'm fucking done with children. <laughs> and, Poor uh, daddy. His kids are so parenting. I was fucking like, uh, I had been all by myself with kids for fucking Nobody's way too long. Hey, man. Hey, man. I great am. patience. The struggle is real. This he knows what real. I'm talking about because we, we you two are this basically the same person. We are. And we're, we're trying to figure out your theme song. I like know what your, it's coming. It's coming. What your angle is? He needs motivation, and you know. All right, Sugar it. Steve, how's life now that you're your big time celebrity? On Chat the with internet? Sugar. Good man. Good. Yeah, I started my own talk show, my own network, and I am also redoing my master bathroom. As, as, <laughs> that's just a coincidence, but that's all. That's also happening. Seriously, or am I gullible? Bro, I don't have like a master bathroom. <laughs> anyway, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Questlove Supreme. <laughs> Only on Pandora. Only. It's been a minute since uh, I've had a, a, an opportunity to, to break metaphorical bread uh, with a favorite. You know, not 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 to offend any of the other guests that've been on the show. I still love you. Layla Hathaway. Stop, don't <laughs> <laughs> no, she listens, and I, I better come correct, or she'll put a hex on me. I, I don't know. But um, our guest today is uh, one of my favorite producers. Um, I don't know how to describe Salam Remy's production style, but uh, it's. I guess you can. Can we use that? It's it's beautiful production. He, he has a he's a very cinematic. It's it's very boom bapish, but. Um, there's always for me extra layers. Like he's almost like a, if hip hop were served in a three Michelin star restaurant, I feel like he would be the guy to serve. He would be, be the chef. Yeah, where you know Primo, <laughs> where Primo is you know, uh, the local corner store dude giving you what you need. Then I feel that you know Salam's uh, he's Salt Bay. He's looks luxurious. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Salt Bay. <laughs> Salam Rumi. Sprinkle me. It's a quest love supreme. Thank you, thank you. Usually, uh, when guests come on the show, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I try to discourage small talk while we're waiting to record the show because usually the good things come out. And Laie had started the small talk with Salam asking what he was doing in New York. But that was the first question because you're never in New York. What are you doing here? Um, well, I got I just, scared. I thought Sean sent you up here to. Nah, nah. Um, actually, what I actually um like to do is to make records. I mean, I moved to Miami in two thousand and one, two thousand and two. So that's been my main base. And even though I kept a place here in L.A., I looked at it like Miami is a bit of my farm where I'm really in my creative space. And then New York is 
my farmer's market per se. Mm-hmm. That's where I've been at for the last few months. And I have a bunch of mango trees and fruit trees. So I've been on my vegan chefing, growing trees, gardening. Oh, you mean uh, literally? Yes. Literally. Oh, and, I thought you, I thought you like me speaking, speaking metaphorically. And yeah. both. So I, I've been in that place like kind of trying to find my baseline. So I've actually been to New York since November for one day, October for one day, and then maybe September for a few days. I've been home for the longest I've ever been home. Um, really just digging into the music. But I was like, April's here. Wait a minute, we got to put music out because I like to make music for the first day of spring, what I would call, you know, the A. Marie, whether the All I Want Is You should play on A Street when House of Nubians is open and I'm still in college age and this is the day when it happens and it didn't happen yet. So now I was like, wait a minute, but this quarter's going, May's coming. You know what? Let me come to New York, start figuring out what I'm doing musically as far as releases for the year, visit all my uh, business partners, figure out what I'm going to do. And that's why I'm here. That sounds like a beautiful life, man. Yeah, you sound professional. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I don't feel professional at all. Late <laughs> 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 my own podcast. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm like, well, okay. Yeah, something like that. So I'm, I'm putting on my business hat. I'm trying to step out of my creative hat for a couple of days, figure out what I'm doing with it, and then dig back into the music. So do you Can, already have the music? I'm sorry, you said music for spring, like that first spring song. So that means you already have the music. You just yeah, I mean, no, it's funny. Um, in 2016, I put out like a bunch of songs. I called "Do It for the Culture," and I was like, I'm gonna release a bunch of music. And then the song that kind of did the best out of that, which was Miguel, myself featuring Miguel, "Come Through and Chill." Mm-hmm. Then that was December 16. He put on his album December 17, and now it's a single. The video's about to drop next week. Things to figure out with that. So I'm like, okay, oh, I guess I should put out another one now. So now I'm just figuring out, okay, I got these other songs. Let me figure out what I'm going with. How's it going? Visit streaming services of the planet. Come <laughs> talk to you guys because I wanted to do this for the last eight months plus. Besides Pandora, what other streaming services are? <laughs> they don't exist. Are, 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 yeah, they don't exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah Pandora's the only game in the market. So, oh. you know, like I said, first stop, first place. <laughs> you know, Why ask that question? Here. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so. so for... Are you saying Monday? Uh, are you saying that Miami is is Miami good for? I never understood cats that wanted to be in that comfortable of an environment to make music because I figured that it's you know, distracting and it's you know. You know what? I always thought that like my whole life. You know, I, I carry the New Yorker mentality. I, I have this thing when rats sit, in the room and. When you sit in New York and you watch people walking down the street, they normally walk a certain way, but I look at it like they're carrying something on their shoulders. Either I'm carrying, I'm walking real fast, I have it, they're dragging, they're leaning. I always felt like New York was me. I had a um, mentality of, you know, I used to hang out with Biz a lot, so it would always be like, all right, cool, I got on a pair of Levi's and a sweatshirt, I don't want to see any plaques, I'm going to work, I lived in Midtown Manhattan, with my dad, but I would always be in the studio mindset. I always wanted to keep it there and had a rough year, 2001, you know, the towers fell, mom passed, grandpa passed, and I went to Miami and I was actually as productive or more productive because I thought that the studio I had, Studio 54, space was making music. I thought my SSL was making the sound. I thought my organs was actually doing it. And then I was on South Beach in a little room with South Beach Studios with this artist, Ms. Dynamite, we did like 30 songs in three weeks. So I was like, oh, wait a minute. 
but it's hot here. <laughs> and, you know, it was nice. And I realized that the, the New York energy that I thought was only in New York was actually in me. So between then and the year after, I made, you know, the major looks to whatever else. I would be even more productive because i get up and see the sun relax. But, you know, it's my bloodstream at this point. What does that say about me that I want to be in the most uncomfortable atmosphere <laughs> to make music? We would need a psychiatrist to unpack that statement. <laughs> or we could just all move to Miami. Yeah. And plus, aren't you afraid of, are you there around August, September? Or Yeah. So any of the flood, you, you, your house well, I mean, this damaged? summer, this last September when they act like, you know, Miami, after Houston had the big issues, mm-hmm. I really was in New York looking there like, dang, is all my stuff going? No, my guy's like, do you want me to FedEx you something? I'm like, my house, my life, my <laughs> SSL, my EMT place. Like, what do you, like, send me everything, all my discs? But then I kind of sat here for a couple of days thinking, wow, this might be it. Is your so, studio protected at least for floods and it is for for the most part, but you know, for anything can happen. Anything can happen. So I mean, realistically, I, everything I own, you know, at this point, I pushed all into one big house. I think actually, you would like my studio house. It's all set up with every other room. Every room in the house is wired together. Record room into pocketed kits in every other room. Oh, I know. I know. You told <laughs> fun <laughs> stuff. You told me. You told me. <laughs> Gross. So Man, I don't know. I just feel like it's sacrilegious to be that comfortable, happy. Ah. Complacent. No, no, what I look at my house. I mean, the, even no, you're you're joking. No, no, even, I'm serious. I know you. Like I'll I'll say that an artist that I'm known working with, mm-hmm. like his MO is like, I gotta get in an argument with one of my, my joints so I can write. And so I hope you're not making love music. No. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> well. Okay, I'm not the only one in the room. Okay. So, <laughs> um, I mean, I, honestly, I think that me being there actually just being great for the life work balance. I've read um, Nas had put me on the Barry White's book. Um, and he basically had one house that he lived in and one house that he worked in across from each other. So it was just that was part of it. You know, I was looking at warehouses. Okay, I built out a warehouse. I have that incredible studio. Now I have to find somebody that wants to buy a couple million dollars worth of studio in order to sell it. Cool. Okay, cool. I get the house on an acre and I make it into a studio. Okay, now I just take it all out. And now it becomes, you know, it's like I, I thought about the Rudy Van Gelder Blue Note house or the Motown space or anything else. So I look at my space kind of as a place to be comfortable. And then also... I focus so much on lyric writing. It's like, you know, feel like you're not where you are, and then let's go for it. So you, you write know? lyrics, too? I co-write a lot of stuff. Okay. You know? Well, I push people who are around me to write. Like, the story is more important to me than the beat 90% of the time. Really? Because I can make the beat 90 times while they're sleeping. I can change it. I'm a remixer from the start. So I actually push the story to be the best thing. It's kind of like getting a script and then shooting the movie. So when you create a song, mm-hmm. what's the first thing you're thinking about? Are you thinking about what's my hook? Like even before you develop, like take us through the process that gave you major look, just from the beginning to from the rooter to the tutor. Major look started with the conversation that Nas and I were having um, about Flavor Flav. That when we saw Flavor Flav in the I Ain't No Joke video that we didn't know who he was. 
because we hadn't really seen Public Enemy perform like that before. We heard their first album, but they didn't have any videos. Mm -hmm. So when we saw I Ain't No Joke, and it was a guy and just that whole energy of how that looked, the energy of how BDP looked rushing down the stairs, and I guess that was Union Square possibly, mm -hmm. the energy of Run's house, how it looked like everybody outside. Dag, mm -hmm. those were the times that felt like it had a certain energy to it. And then... I was working on um, a lot of Latin stuff when I first moved to Miami, so I was working with Ricky Martin, and I wanted to use uh, Apache for Ricky, but I always remember Lost Professor had the trick when he was doing stuff in the 1200s, slow the sample all the way down to make sure that your chop was right on beat. Mm -hmm. So I was chopping up, you know, it was supposed to be, Ricky, Ricky. Like, that was my, <laughs> that was my thought process. That's what I was going for. What? And I pitched the... You know, Apache a little bit and kind of mess with it, but I was sitting there messing with it, and then I played it really slow, kind of trying to make sure that my chop was on point. And then when I played it, I had just moved to Miami, so some of my guys from New York were there, and they just busted the room like, "Yo, what's that?" And I was like, "Aha, this is it." But it really it filled the spot that Nas and I already, already had a conversation about what that felt like. So then I just basically took it and you know did the first ball, first ball, first ball, onto the second ball loop. Took the hit. You did it on 1200? Nah, I did that on um, NPC 2000. Um, so did that, and then I just <laughs> took the hit, filtered it, made played the bass line on it, and then I called Nas, and he didn't answer his phone. He was actually in Orlando at the time writing, and then I left it on his voicemail. I um, was like, yo, I think I got what we were talking about. And then he heard it, and he was like, yo. Then he just hit me back on the two-way or something, come through. So then I basically drove Maybe. cassette. Basically, <laughs> close to that. You know, it was two thousand and one too. Right? I, I had a CD burner. The, the who was it? The who was I the HHB mm -hmm. <laughs> CD burner? So I burned it on my HHB CD burner and uh, took the disc and I threw a world or something like that in the truck I just bought. And I drove up to my to Orlando. And when I got there, wait, that's not a close drive. That's it's like four hours. Just to play him as not not just to play him. He just like come through because he'd already been basically. Um, the process was when we did when my mom passed in May of two thousand and one. Mm -hmm. I was working on the Sade remix for Lovers Rock. Okay, I put Nas on that remix. He came through. He's looking at me like, "What you doing?" I was like, "Oh, my mom passed. I'm going to the funeral, but then I'll be back. You can finish your verse." So he's looking at me like, "You're an alien. What are you doing? What did you just say? What's happening?" But you know, as you know. I worked through it. Mm -hmm. And then Sade called me that day like, hey, do you want to do this remix? It got to be done on Friday. So I was like, I got to do it. That wasn't something I was giving out. No. Right. <laughs> Every day Sade said remix Lovers Rock. Really? Right. That was maybe maybe one person. I think maybe Pharrell had done something yeah, prior yeah, around that time. And that was it. And off the same album, I was getting my shots. So that was that. But basically, that kind of cemented our bond. And I ended up doing... Um, what goes around for Stillmatic. So then now the next year, his mom passed, but I didn't know his mom was sick when he was watching me. So he was basically like, yo, I got off tour. I'm going to go to Orlando with my daughter. And he stayed in Orlando in some timeshare house. Then he was like, you know what? I'm going to record here. So he had about five or six houses. He got a uh, large professor, Akinelli, Alchemist, a few other people. So when he, by the, Chucky Thompson, mm -hmm. and by the time he called me like, yo, come through and come to Orlando, they were already there. Oh, set so, up, okay. Right, so it was already there, and we were working at Transcontinental Studios where, you know, Lou Pearlman's place or whatever it was. 
So we were doing that. I drove up. Alchemist and I were driving to the studio. And I was like, yo, this is a track. It could be crazy. I actually had Amy talking. I had Amy Winehouse talking on the track because mm-hmm. I was starting to work on Frank right around then. Actually, I started in May. So, yeah, I was like, had her doing some stuff. I wanted to put Curtis Blow on it. Saying, oh, I'll wow. be flipping on these niggas like windmills. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, had, <laughs> I, had, I had all these uh, these ideas. And he was like, yeah, all right, cool. And I had to go to New York for a wedding and come right back. I left the track there. I came back. And he had basically the first verse. And... um. Yeah, the first verse in the chorus. And basically the thing was that with that track, I was busy trying to say this has a lot of energy. It was like a lot of nori. And you know, I was like, nah, just get on the track and go for it. Mm-hmm. But what he decided to do was lean back on it and rock him it instead. Back to our original conversation of I Ain't No Joke. Mm-hmm. So rather than going at the track, and you know, he has a thing where he refers to rhyming on the one-ass mofos. <laughs> basically... <laughs> He'll skip the one, let the one go hard. On the end. And, okay. and then fall in the middle of it. Basically, that, that was so like So he, he thinks like, in that sort of mathematical sense. He, he says that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, it was also that. And then also, you know, the uh, fathers being musicians like that. So he thinks like a musician. And if he plays something, he'll think about it, musically speaking, as he's writing to it. So. It's weird because in my head, I thought he was trying to do a rock bass flow. Because Rob Bass also sort of rhymes on the and instead of uh, like instead of beat. Yeah, 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 You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. speaking of an old episode of reference of Rob Bass. <laughs> <Right>. Exactly. <laughs> uh, his, his, his approach was straight Rock Kim. He was thinking about how Rock Kim would have sat back on. Now let's get it all in perspective. Right. Okay. That was, that was the thought process. But I didn't catch it at the time. I was like, all right. Cool, this is where we're going with it. And then as the song grew, we just kept adding layers. He finished the verses. I threw the brave words. It was a thousand people. Wait, I got to tell you something. That that. Wait, did I tell you? <laughs> um, I never knew y'all were saying brave hearts. I thought, see, I had my whole theory about made you look. And I thought that was his him bucking a shot back at Jay-Z, which was still mm-hmm. like at that time, up still, in the air. Right. So, I thought y'all were saying airball. <laughs> oh, God. Airball. Airball. <laughs> wow. And I was thinking, like, yo, why is it so low in the mix? Because that'd be so great at basketball games to, you know, like, yeah. ah, Jay-Z, you missed me, motherfucker. Airball. Like, that sort of thing. Yeah. But And even when we did that, like, part of my theory was just, you know, being in the clubs and being in different spaces that... I faded it up because I wanted it to play, but I wanted you also to be in the club and feel like the people on the other side were doing it or whatever it was. So then now you start singing along with it and then by the time it creeps up, that was a play game. But I mean, that was the main part of it. Cut the record, took it to Miami, played around a little bit and by his birthday kind of played through it. And then, you know, during that time, you know, he was still going through drama with the radio and everything else. So I was like, um, take uh, impeach the president and just use it by itself. Alchemist was like, really? Alchemist was with me um, during those days because he knew where the studio was from the rental houses we were staying at. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to just impeach the president. I'm not adding hi hat or eight or eight or nothing. Really? Go ahead, do it. So he's just sitting there looking at me like, what are you doing? And basically, I just took the piano. It was a little off and I had a story from uh, 
Greg Nice, where he was there when they made the bridges over. Mm-hmm. And basically he said that uh, KRS was going to play the bass line on the Juno. And he's like, yeah, what about that piano in there? They went um, where the musicians union is at in the old A&R studios building. And basically KRS went to the piano, even though it was off, and played uh, 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 played uh, uh, the uh, okay. Super Cat Boops bass line on the piano, then said sampled it and made oh. the bridges over. So when I saw the piano, and they was like, it's not tuned. I'm like, nah, good, leave it. So then I went to the piano and I was like, you know what? Why don't you feature Alicia Keys playing piano instead of singing? I was going to say, is that her playing for Elise? That's me playing. But my <laughs> thought process was to get her to play it and then feature her that way rather than making the typical R&B. Alicia Keys comes out of nowhere with a hook record. That was my thought. Uh-huh. But then she ended up producing some Warrior song for the album. And then, you know, it was like, I know I can was basically... Come on, we love the kids, man. <laughs> we play on the radio. We love the kids. We got to do it for the kids. I know I can. That was you a know. smart song, man. Yeah, basically. And that vocalist is actually... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Are you trying to battle me, motherfucker? On my own show? I've been waiting to this for a while. Check it out. Okay. Well. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. But the vocalist on I Know I Can is actually uh, Angela Hunt, who is was also in a group 7669. Oh, my God. Yeah, I remember saying that. She's the kid? So high. Was the kid's the voice is actually so high. Exactly. So that's her voice. And then she actually wrote Empire State of Mind. Yes. Oh, she's the wow, one. She came up. I didn't know. Yeah. I had no idea. And then she has no big soca record. Party done. That was big for the last few years or whatever. Wow. I always wonder what happened to them. Yeah, wow. yeah, they had that one album. It was well. Over. Damn, you, you out rabbit hole me, <laughs> but I'm still going back to the beginning, y'all. <laughs> Where was you born, oh, Salam Remy? You <laughs> <laughs> waited a while to go back to the beginning. You no, go, I did. He's like go. he, you know, he went on a tangent, which is good. Rabbit holes and tangents, hand in hand. Listen, black representation is essential. If I hadn't seen and heard certain black women in radio, I wouldn't be in radio. Women like Robin Breeden, Candy Shannon, Michelle Wright, Deanna Williams. Women owning radio stations like Kathy Hughes. Listen, the next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. Word. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Each episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Smurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so I feel silly. Because as much traveling as I do, and as many Airbnbs that I stay in, because that's the only way I travel, I really have never considered my own space. I mean, think about it. What if you can make money for your next vacation 
while you're on vacation. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, my house is just not fancy enough. I just can't do the things. You're sleeping on your space. I'm sleeping on my space. Yes, I'm talking to myself. And I really don't even have to use my whole place. I could just Airbnb a room. I know how this works. Because again, I use Airbnb. Duh. I mean, just think about it. Most of us that use Airbnb are only using it for 50% of its power. We're spending the money, but we're not making the money. What if we could do both? Whoa. Mind-blowing. And your home really might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals. First caller? I had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal? I paid for 20 tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange. Ooh. You got burned. Next caller. I traded in my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus. Hmm. How's that bad? I got to choose from their best plans. So what went wrong? Oh, nothing went wrong. And you're calling to... To request a song? You want a song. Of course. The choice is yours. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Uh, where were you born? I was born uh Manhattan. Uh, St. Luke's Women's Hospital up in East Harlem. And then I grew up, um, at that time my parents lived Brooklyn Heights, but then I grew up in Queens mainly. Northside, Jamaica, Queens, Cambridge Heights. Holding on to that accent. Now, who's your, your, your father is? My father, um, ah, okay. It's a bit of a rabbit hole. Should I go over yes, there? Right. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Right, cool. That's what the show's for. Perfect. All right, so my dad, uh, his name is Van Gibbs, um, producer, manager, musician, et cetera. Basically, the story how I came about is this. Um, my dad comes from Trinidad, 18 years old. His father already lived here in Brooklyn. He's working at some place, New York Insurance Company. He's been getting older, so I've been asking him, re-asking him the questions to kind of get the story straight, straight. Mm-hmm. Now you can tell me the grown man version of what happened. Right. <laughs> right. So basically, um, he was working at a place called New York Insurance Company, and there was a guy in there named Bernard something. Bernard lived in Queens. St. Albans. He's like, hey, you know what? You play guitar? Okay, cool. My dad had an acoustic guitar. was starting to play electric. He's like, yo, come around my way. There's some guys that do a band. So he takes him around Queens, St. Albans, 202nd Street. My uncle, Joseph Wiggins, who's my mother's brother, actually was a local musician. And then I had another uncle named Thomas who played keys. Joseph played sax, guitar, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Introduces them. My Uncle Joe goes, yeah, all right, but get Bernard out of here, and we can probably go start a band somewhere else. So they started a band called Stone Free, and actually Larry Smith was also rolling with them, and they made play bass with them, doing different stuff. So my dad, my uncles, and Larry, and probably I think it was somebody else named Ratty or something like that from the neighborhood, all had a band called Stone Free that they were doing stuff. And then that's where... My dad cites my mom, and then my grandfather chases him away, and he still has a car. Hey, you know, I could drive you to work, whatever it is, and that's where I came from, basically. You know, from a 
garage around the way band in 1970 up to 72. Did they make albums? Never did that. They just performed. I think it's some there was a club called, I think there was a Cheetah that used to be where SIR is on 52nd. Mm-hmm. Somewhere over there. So they performed in different places. And when I've asked other musicians of the day, they're like, oh, yeah, I remember them. They played whatever it was, but they never really made records like that. And then my dad continued to, um, you know, produce and stayed in the music business as one of those people who um, kind of stayed. You know, he did Broadway. He did um, Yams Who Shot the Box With God, Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope, Went On The Road. Did Jasmobile. He basically was the first um, arranger, according to Kenton Nix on Facebook, but he was the person who really knew how to put records together. Um, Bert Reed from Crown Heights Affair had hooked my dad up with Kenton, who was his friend, mm-hmm. saying, hey, maybe you can help him put together some stuff. So the first time I got in the album, Work That Body, was my dad's pretty much production. He's listed as a ranger, mm-hmm. but Kenton was the producer and, I guess, co-writer. And up to Heartbeat, which was actually one of the leftover tracks off the album. I heard. Didn't happen. But basically, they went and redid it. So when I eventually sampled it from Here Comes the Hot Stepper, that kicked back in. Do you have the master rule? I don't. I think Dope has it. But, you know. He got all Exactly. (laughs) I think he has it. But basically, no, just in that conversation, I was able to get a really favorable sample clearance deal. Because it was because <laughs> it was lifted from Dad's you know original works and yeah. you know still I, I just feel like the legacy comes around. Pops is always I'll say it now. He said that was his jam that he created um, you know with his band basically off of uh, it's a shame you know. It's basically yeah. he was playing it's a shame. Does your no, father know? Did, did he ever hear the story of Larry Levin? And the four hours of heartbeat? No, I don't know. <laughs> Do you know the story? No, I don't know that story. All right, so you know Larry Levin is, right? Right, right. Paradise he, he, Garage. He would deal with Larry all the time doing stuff. So, yeah, uh, the legend has it. Do you know Larry Levin is? Uh, if I say that, then then I know. It I sounds familiar. Okay. Well, he, he, to me, he's like one of my DJ <laughs> idols. But he, in, in 77, when, uh, you know, Studio 54 spawns off, sort of rejection culture like you can't come in but you can come in but you can't come in you can so all the rejects were like well fuck it we're gonna start our own culture so you know three sub-genres and subcultures started so there's there's the punk the punk scene in the east village the have-nots and then like hip-hop in the bronx 77 also helped do do the blackout and them looting all the dj equipment sounds very okay i'm get, get, uh, get down okay and then, and then, uh, wait a minute. Let me I know that was get... the wrong reference to make Bill. Well, yeah, because Bill's face just started, you know. <laughs> I didn't mean to say the, the, G, the G word. It just sounded familiar to the I wasn't get down. angry. I was laughing. I okay. thought it was funny. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> so, uh, and then I, I guess you could say that. I hate you, Amir. The, the underground. <laughs> you gotta get another Bill theme that goes deeper than darker than that, okay. Fonte. The rising, actually. Yeah. So, uh, and you know, just a lot of uh, uh, the underground uh, gay nightclubs and whatnot. Oh, like what they're about to the new Ryan Murphy drawing that's based off of. I'm sorry, I just went into a rabbit hole, but there's a. Yeah, we're like Ryan deep Murphy in the abyss now. Okay, 
So the thing is, is that uh, the most popular DJ, well, he also DJed at Studio 54, but Larry Levin like, wanted to build his own spot, leave Studio 54 and the build. The Balls. That's what they're called. They used to do. They used to host balls. <laughs> oh, come on, but, y'all. Oh, oh, ball. Okay, I, I see what the, you mean. The, <laughs> but this was more. I mean, he built the ultimate warehouse okay. with with speakers. The like, it, it was probably the most. Like it's 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 a DJ's dream to 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 spin in a spot like this. Anyway, it, you know, he had an amazing following. Um, I mean, like, and he would do the most creative things. Like me reading about his set list is what prompts me to think that I can get away with playing like Kermit the Frog and and DMX (laughs) in the same setting. Um, Like one night he infamously just played the entire Wizard of Oz movie and had a light show. I heard about this. And it was like, so I I guess once he got larger than life, then uh, he started experimenting more and he was getting a lot of shade from his main dancers. And they were like protest, like we don't like this song, so we're not, so we're not going to dance like in protest. And so he went and I don't know if, did he commission heartbeat or did he produce no, they, the dancers he just didn't did like heartbeat cuz it was too slow like yeah, it the dancers was, didn't right, like it. But so did he did he just do an edit to it or was it did he have anything to do with the creative He did, a, he did an edit as far as I know. He okay. didn't actually create it but he did This is the obvious you make my heart beat. You make me feel Tanya Garden and heartbeat. So he in in pro and the next week he came back and basically played heartbeat for four hours in a row, and they relentlessly booed. It was like a, just a standoff. We're going to sit on the floor and protest and protest and protest. And finally, they're like, "Look, let's just dance to this shit so you can play the next record because <laughs> there ain't no other club going to let us in." So let's just you know. So anyway, that was and your- part of culture kept going because that record means a lot to you know the barbecue flex mm-hmm. and everything else that you know came after it and plus also like frankie crocker used to all you know like he was the type of of, of leader that other djs would come and watch so frankie crocker would look over mm-hmm. you playing that you playing that and then start playing it on the radio and then that's exactly so within that you know back to pops he was uh you know producer arranger doing all that stuff. He did uh, promotions, street promotions at Arista, worked underneath uh, Vincent Davis, who had Vincent Heyman at the time. And then he became Northeast Regional um, for Arista, like during the time, like he broke, like jumped to it for Aretha and different stuff like that and had relationships with Frankie Crocker, would, you know, go and produce stuff. Took first person to take Dougie Fresh in the studio. For the first... Before that, there was a record called Pass the Buddha by the Buddha Bless crew, where he got Sly and Robbie, who he had kind of helped out a lot when they first came to New York, hooked them up with Gwen Guthrie, took them around to Larry LeVan, all that other stuff. Oh, like, yeah, cause, yeah, cause, yeah, the Seventh Heaven. like that, Right, all that, that type that of stuff. So he yeah, basically was the person that, you know, when I talk to Sly and Robbie now, they're like, nah, your father took us around and let everybody know us and whatever else it was. So he was just basically a connector through the musician scene, the Jazzmobile scene, you know, part of the Jamaica boys and all the Hanky great and Howie great and all those guys who are on that side were like my godfathers to say. He basically was just like a guy that was in the middle of everything, but he took Dougie in the studio to record a record with Spoonie G and Spivey called Pass the Buddha, which was a Pass the Dutchy rap version. <laughs> they put it out. He got jerked. He put out another record with Allison um, Williams called The Fair. Uh, it was called Please Don't Break My Heart, which was another one of those Basically, heartbeat, just that vibe, that New York mm-hmm. energy, church chords. Slow you know. boogie song. Exactly. More of that stuff. 
And then, you know, through his connections while he was at Polygram, he eventually, um, he brought Gwen Guthrie in, even though his promotion wasn't supposed to be doing it, but the whole thing, nothing going on but the rent time. But he was just like connected on both sides, management and music. So was he an independent person? Because you you just mentioned like a bunch of labels in a short period of time, like. How does one go from like oh, I'm on Polygram, oh, I'm at Arista, oh, I lost it. You like James Evans of music? He basically, he, I mean, he went through all the stuff. Basically, his thing was that when he made his first records, he got jerked and he wanted to learn, so he went into Arista as an intern, and then ended up being Northeast Regional. And then as he left there, then he ended up going to Polygram. You know, his whole flow was always I'm gonna. He basically would be in the studio. But then still be doing promotion, but then still be with whatever else, doing a little Broadway in between, whatever needed to happen. He always kept the I'm going to work 20 hours out of the day aspect. Who was the most popular artist that he was associated with that was sort of a no name back then? Like, son, I want you to meet uh, Sissy Houston's uh, 11 year old daughter, uh, (laughs) Whitney. She's going to babysit you, too, though. How can I say? I mean, even during that time, he worked with Balafonte. So it's kind of hard for me to say. Wow. Like even you know, some of that Town of Garden stuff, it says, if you look at that work, the body album says, recorded by David Belafonte. Van, can you take yes, take David with you like, and help him? He needs something to do, you know? <laughs> David's an engineer right. and actually on a lot of stuff. Um, I can't say. It was, it's kind of weird because I saw so much so young. You know, so that first time Dougie was in the studio, he called me on his 45th birthday. Yo, I, I remember how I went to the studio and you was, <laughs> you was touching everything. You know, I just remembered you were meant to do that, huh? You was there. You was, how old was you? Yeah, you touched everything in the studio and then you still do it. You know, that's still Are that you using one of them kids like, what does this do? What does this do? What does it do? No, it was? no. I, it was almost that, but I remember like the first time I heard... Um, Dun, 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 dun. I know how to play uh, dun, 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 Boogie Yogi mm-hmm. on a clavinet. And I remember Burton Reed actually looking at me and going, who told you how to do that? <laughs> like, Really? So I was around. Like, So basically, the way it worked on the Daily Planet block is that there was a Planet Studios in the basement. Then up above that, there were a lot of people who had studio, like uh, little law spaces. So Belafonte had a law space kind of like right on the third floor. And that's where my dad would actually be taking care of Harry Belafonte's business, but also rehearsing the band, which was like Bernard Wright was coming through at that point, you know, coming from music and art, and he'd be playing on stuff. Or Crown Heights Affair had a loft down the block, so they would be coming back and forth at different points. But that's when Burt Reed is killing, you know, the must be the musics, the Mm -hmm. raw silks, everything else. So everything was kind of happening in that space. And I was living in Queens with my mom, but whenever I would be with my dad for a couple days, I literally was seeing more than I thought, more than I can put the pieces to it. I mean, I guess for me it also started because all my uncles were musicians and my father's brothers as well. Mm-hmm. So my third birthday, there used to be a drum store on 47th and <coughs> kind of like right where Unique was, somewhere right in that space, 47th right off of Broadway. It was upstairs on the second floor. And I think Philly Joe Jones' son owned the drum store. And I went there and I was messing around with stuff. And Elvin Jones was there and saw me messing around and actually put together a drum kit for me that was like of a floor tom turned into, no, a big floor tom that turned into a kick and basically set up a drum kit. It's like, man, get him this. This is what it needs to be. So he put it together. My dad bought it. But 
that was like my third birthday. It was almost like it's where's ridiculous. This, where's this drum set? That, uh, <laughs> I have pieces of it. I don't have the whole thing. Exactly. It was in my grandmother's church. Somebody <laughs> must have got baptized in it or something. <laughs> exactly you, how it went. Earlier, you mentioned Larry Smith's name, and mm-hmm. he's also like one of the uh, the great pioneers of of hip hop production that never ever gets mentioned in right. the Pantheon of greats. And did you have any Aaron DMC? Uh, did you have any relationship of like with him and or have any stories of just not really? I mean, the only time that I saw Larry wasn't until later, like when we had studios in the city and he kind of came by, and he was just always like, man, he basically the times when I saw Larry, he was talking to me about my uncles who had passed on by then, uh, my mother's brother like Joe Wiggins, and my uncle Thomas. Just about stuff in, you know, the Hollis, St. Albans neighborhood where they all were around. Mm-hmm. And then he'd be talking to my dad, hey, man, we got to do something again. But it was kind of like at a point when Larry was past his prime. Right. It's really when I personally got to talk to him. I heard about him earlier and I kind of saw stuff, but I didn't never, and I didn't have any of that uh, 83 to 87 prime Larry Smith energy. I heard his name, but I didn't. And actually, I heard him say, yeah, you know, Larry, oh, that's Larry Smith. That's a guy, but I didn't really correlated until later on so did you is your first production black by popular demand or was it the album before the album before mcgilla gorilla i was going to say did you do mcgilla gorilla so i mcgilla gorilla was more can i of, please play this song for y'all <laughs> no yes, please yes. don't play because i don't know what it is we're on a roll <laughs> let me just play i'll no, say this no no no, no 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 don't even set it up right. can boss bill do we have your permission to yeah. Play. To not to not even back sell this thing. I just want to just Take play it right now. Take a so he can find it. Go ahead. Oh. Hey. This is a story all about. Turn it upside down. Now let me tell you a little story and a whole that it's not boring. This is the first song on my my good and terrible list. A gorilla. Whoa. And his name is Magilla. Now one day. That sounded kind of forrealish right there. Oh. Actually, yeah. He got fed up. What? Yeah, it does kind of sound like forrealish. That he does. It's like straight up. Had to go. No, he did not. Damn, I'm just waiting to get to the chorus. I'm like, I'm waiting to get to it too. This is all you, right? Just uh, uh, the ad is. Don't be embarrassed. He looks so mortified right now. Y'all can see this shit. <laughs> there it is. Found it. about to get a check for this okay now you were who what, is 13 this? at the who, who time was the artist who 14 was the artist? That's oh i'm sorry blow. that was curtis blow oh it is curtis. That's curtis you blow. did not know that was curtis blow no i had never I heard the song in my life you didn't have kingdom blow no <laughs> the record on the album would have been then 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 i'm, I'm chilling. chilling yeah i had back my popular demand i remember that one but so back I'll tell you, McGilla Gorilla was um, my light involvement 
No, I'm going to call it light industry. It was an artist that my dad had named Essence, and Essence was a beatbox. And he would, and he kind of took the biz thing to another level, but he'd be doing bass lines and stuff. So part of it was Essence. Part of it was my dad. My dad also produced Falling in Love for the Fat Boys. Mm-hmm. So that's their signature, their 707 drum machine, all other little pieces. And, you know, I'm helping out on it, but that wasn't so much me personally being in the studio. Wait, so, <laughs> but you get the credit on the album. I get the credit, but then also somebody. <laughs> that was them trying to, uh, wait, Alan Smithy, you? <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah, I, I, I got, I got uh, put out. into it. And then also he was working at Polygram as a promotion person at the time. Okay. My father was. So if you look at that record, his name's not on it, but mine is. I see. Oh, so it's like a, it's like a Grace okay. Cook type. Grace Cook, I was about to say, yeah. Grace Cook, Eddie, Eddie, Hazel, uh, Eddie Hazel. Okay, his yeah, mother's Grace name. Was Mar- I see. I see. Riley. Yeah. yeah, basically. So that record was. Mm. Uh, uh, but uh, I was doing uh, records. Uh, uh, I just want to know. That. I, didn't know that. I didn't realize that. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. What? Markel Riley. That Teddy, Teddy Riley. Was, was, Teddy was using Markel's name sometimes. Yeah. That too. Yeah. Sometimes. Because I know about well. He's, sometimes he's doing Gene. Sometimes using Markel. Yeah, because Gene Markel's Griffin produced oh. my prerogative. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, why? But Gene Griffin was taking everybody's credit and money. Yeah. So, uh, how did that? First of all, how old were you? I was 14. Okay, that's highly unusual. So that means that you must have displayed an advanced level of some sort of mu- musical wizardry that they're just mm-hmm. like. Good. Let's alum. Like at fourteen, I wasn't. I don't even think at, at forty-seven. I'm thinking about. <laughs> I mean, you know what's crazy? I, I actually, you know, when I was a kid, you know, when I was playing some drums, I was doing some different stuff. But then I also, um, let's see, me and Akinelli went to junior high together. So I had in junior high, which would have been eighty-three. I was eleven. I had a little. I still have a Yamaha Porter Sound keyboard that I could program. And in that, I was able to program beats, so I would really be on the cheese box programming stuff. And then for my birthday in 85, I got a 707 and a Yamaha DX21 in the four track. So I was actually making tracks and beats that I'll be proud to say sounded better than that. (laughs) (laughs) That was just something that happened in the middle of whatever. And what my dad was doing is while he was doing promotion at Polygram, sometimes he'd have to pick up Curtis Blow off the red eye. He swooped through Queens, picked me up with Curtis in the car, drive me to school. Yo, what you doing? Oh, dad, this is Sweet Tea. It's my beat. Like all the influence for the beats and the records were kind of coming from me. And I was like, nah, this is this. Listen to that one. I'd be giving them my pause tapes. Like, take it, but just make a copy, bring it back for me. Here's another one I got. So I was actually somewhat his in ear the to records. the street, kind of, yeah. Totally, his ear to the street and just watching what I was doing because he was still a musician, but he was into hip-hop. You know, he was helping Belafonte with Beat Street. He was taking Doug and Suda, so all that stuff. And with that record, it wasn't like my hands were on it the way that I wanted to because I would have changed it. But <laughs> <laughs> that was part of their production. And then, you know, Curtis. And Curtis was at a different point in his career, too. He was still trying to So you to didn't come up together. with a concept? Nah, that one wasn't me. Back by Popular Demand was my concept. But, okay, I'll get off McGill Gorilla. Just one more. <laughs> like, what made him, like, was there a movie picture? I wanted like, to ask. I thought it was the guy, already known. Essence, had something and he was like, mm, 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 and they took whatever the energy that was and 
smoothed it out. The Jingle yeah. Studio did. That's really what it was. It was almost like a Jingle Studio version of what something that was dope raw four track. It just got to you know something. Though? It's it's just hard to even even if it's a nice show. Like when we try to make like mock mock TV theme, like bad hip hop or whatever. Like there's almost there's almost an art to that, which even if intentional or trying to be funny or whatever, like I kind of you know I delve into I I love that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I actually respect it. What was what was the first like drum machine that you were given that you that was your tool? That was my actual. I mean, well, that Yamaha Porter sound I was able to program on. And then 707. I had a Yamaha 707. So you just skipped the whole Casio SK-1 discovery of sample thing? <laughs> I had a SK-1 more like 87, 88. But before that, it was kind of like, here's a drum machine, figure out how to program. So I started... I so actually you went had, to college first. And- yeah, I actually had programmed on, like I said, on the Yamaha Porter sound. I was able to take that... And it had like four little things where I was able, you know, boom, 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 and then I could record little keyboard things. So I was really doing that, 83, 84. And then it was like, okay, well, we're going to give you the 707 now. And then I actually got on that. But then I was mad because I was like, the 707 snare don't sound like Molly's. It's a demo snare. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> like, how am I going to get this? So then I got You didn't uh, get your, your crack at the uh, infamous Molly uh, uh, half real? Nah, I got what I got was a uh, what was it a uh, one of those gated reverbs or at least it's reverb or something like that. Oh, you just need reverb, man. And <laughs> the reverb was trying to make it, and it was still cool. I figured it out, but nah, that wasn't the case. And then eventually, um, yeah, it was a seven hundred seven DX twenty one, an Elisa's drum machine. Eventually, I don't remember if, if that came before or after the nine fifty or nine hundred. Probably later after the 900 because what I did was um, I helped my dad. He had signed MC Rel and Chuck Chillout to his label, 88, 89, late 87. And MC Rel was from Philly. Rock him sound. Yeah, the Rock him. You worked on that shit? Yeah, on that album. Yo, yo, I wish someone my age would. Tariq would lose his mind right now. Do y'all yeah. remember MC Rel? Nah. I remember MC Rel. Dog, when he was, wait, was he like a rock wait a minute. Like- I put an MC, I put M- MC Rel post in the Ask Von yeah, 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 chat. Did. You didn't say I produced this. I didn't produce all of it. I did one song. That's why I got my my um. Ah, man. But that was actually on my dad's label, Chuck Chillout and Crew Chip and MC Rel. What was your dad's and label? It was called Palm Tree at okay. the time but he had um palm tree polygram he basically left polygram as a, a promotion person and got a label deal and put those two artists out and mc rel's life of an entertainer it was actually mc rel and the house rockers with some cats that were from i think they were from columbia south carolina oh, wow. um the house rockers and then rel was from philly where from yeah where from philly was he I can't remember. I feel like he was from West Philly. I'm not sure. See, this so, this this really helped. This really helped the root situation out. All right, the way this is MC Rel's uh, life of an entertainer. <laughs> That's my dad. But he sounds just like Rakim. Beat. Is that you playing drums in the video? <laughs> <laughs> Every 
everybody wants to rap or be a singer. Tired of working on that job of chap singers. The boss don't bust his back, but you breaking it. Call out sick for Now, in, in this case, he had his cadence. He really, his no, voice didn't resign. He was he, more. This was more Spoonie G ish. But yeah. there's some joints. He there was a commercial that used to always come on Lady B Street Beat uh, Hour in, on Power 99. That was MC Rel, and it was like straight rock him. Like Philly had these two acts that. It was like, ah, it, it did us no justice. Like, MC <laughs> Rel was like our, our, our broke uh, Rock Kim. Mm -hmm. And then there was uh, the, the Rhythm Radicals. And they were like our fake public enemy. Ah, uh, okay. You ever heard of the Rhythm Radicals? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I heard of them. Did you produce them too? No, no. <laughs> I feel like I feel like when this episode is done, that you're going to reveal like two artists that you know. Most likely, was it was your dad's label? Was that the same label? Uh, the Chuck the Chuck Chill Out and Cool Chip album with uh, Slave to the Rhythm on? Yep. Okay. You produced yeah, that all the time. No, the only thing I did on that I'm album large. was I'm large. I went and changed the mix. They had a mix where they programmed like I was like Tommy Roll. That sound like MC Light. Turn that up, and they had. Um, Boy White, Rob White, who Rob Lewis was his name, he had programmed on top of it kind of some loud wannabe Freddie being the Mike Master drums that weren't mm -hmm. exactly it. And it was just like, it sounded like they put seven to seven drums on top of Tommy Rowe. And I was like, what are you doing? Take that down, turn this sample up, turn this other part up. And then Edison, my dad's partner, went and replayed the James Bond sample. And kind of put that together. So him and uh, you, you remember Drayton I'm large that. when it was on like video jukebox doing that era. We didn't have we didn't have video jukebox. Yeah, I'm large was uh, it was one of those things where uh, at the end of the video it was some to be continued shit, but then they show a commercial and then be like, "Yo, save us from help the bomb from detonating." Detonating, uh, dial 1-800, save us. And I'm like the sucker on the phone, like <laughs> trying to come up with the That code. was Pops. He got you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Made you look. <laughs> it was good. Greg Knight still be like, yo, tell your Pops he owe me $35 from talking to girls. Because they had a thing where you could dial up and talk to certain artists. Right. So Rich Knights, when he was an artist, Greg Knights, wow. different people would come to the office and now they'd be able to, you know, you dial a number and for a dollar a minute, and he's like, yo, I'm going to give you 25 cents a minute. And so people be <laughs> over there talking to different people from all over the country. And they think, yeah, tell your pops, he owe me $35. It's like the still. first internet. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? He's in his first chat room. He must have, he used that whole Northeast Regional to his, his advantage when it came to well, like. Well, I mean, Pops is a hustler. He's yeah. still a hustler. Because, I mean, to have his ear on, every, like, especially the cities on the East Coast because he already had. Had to do that for for work and Definitely that, and then in the music space, like I'm skipping all types of stuff, but just in general, he was always in it, always in Jazzmobile and different places. So he had his basically my width of music that I work on. He pretty much did all of it. I'm just expanding on it in different ways and kind of going from there. So I was born into that. Basically, when I came and graduated from high school in '89, I went. To, from living with my mom in Queens to moving into the building where he had classic concepts, which was video music box, basically subletting one space and, you know, getting them all the video stuff. They did the Chuck and Chill Out videos, the BBD Poison, you know, Slick Blow. That was in our studio that was underneath uh -huh, where wow. classic concepts was. 
Oh. So that was all in our space. So that's the same studio room that I would have recorded Aini Kamozi in or Jiggy or whatever else it was. That was like our you main studio Ziggy? space. You did Jiggy? That was you? Toss it up? Yeah. Shit. Dog, you, we, we going to say we, I know, we gotta go. Yeah. yeah. Yo, did you was, have anything to do with the payback mix? The payback mix? The mean, James I, Brown mega mix thing? Oh, yeah, I did that. We need a new game. Thing. It's called "Bitch, You Produced It," <laughs> where, <laughs> where you just, just throw some shit at Salah Revy. He goes, mm-hmm, or no? Yeah, I did that. That, that was um, Harry. Hey, Harry Wenger came to me at that time and was like, but "You know, hey. like sixteen. But my dad worked at the Polygram branch with Harry Wenger, so I met Harry when what I was thirteen. 16? I don't, I don't I was, trust a twenty-six-year-older now, <laughs> let alone I, a sixteen-year-old. I was in the vaults. Early. I know you was. I was in the vaults early, and I was in there. You know, I was sample police early. Hey, that's oh sample. you was oh, oh so, what? So I was sample police oh, early. Oh man, um, I know okay. what it was. Gun, get the gun. While yeah. I was in there, yeah, I was going to say here's Slav <laughs> Ring was a fed. <laughs> no key, but I got access. You okay, know what I'm like I was a Rick Ross fed. Okay, <laughs> so I was helping people out. Okay, so I feel silly. Because as much traveling as I do, and as many Airbnbs that I stay in, because that's the only way I travel, I really have never considered my own space. I mean, think about it. What if you can make money for your next vacation while you're on vacation? And I know what you're thinking. You're like, my house is just not fancy enough. I just can't do the things. You're sleeping on your space. I'm sleeping on my space. Yes, I'm talking to myself. And I really don't even have to use my whole place. I could just Airbnb a room. I know how this works. Because again, I use Airbnb. Duh. I mean, just think about it. Most of us that use Airbnb are only using it for 50% of its power. We're spending the money, but we're not making the money. What if we could do both? Whoa. Mind-blowing. And your home really might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals. First caller? I had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free. Ooh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal? I paid for 20 tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange. Ooh. You got burned. Next caller. I traded in my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus. Hmm. How's that bad? I got to choose from their best plans. So what went wrong? Oh, nothing went wrong. And you're calling to... To request a song? You want a song. Of course. The choice is yours. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected, or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moon roof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. 
Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Do me a favor. Give us three acts. Oh, no. Give us three acts or three joints that you kind of that you snitched on. I can't even remember right now. (laughs) But were you bad? Were you like, okay, that's the funky drummer snare. That's ours. No, 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 no. no. It was like, no, if there were like whole records, because basically what I was doing, like the funky people part three, I think had the version I did of Blow Your Head without the noise on it. Yes. So that was something I went in and did. So I was telling them, like, look, if we have some of these records where... Oh, you was laying traps. Because you also did that for Things Got to Get Better with Marvel Whitney. So I did that. So there were th- three versions of the multi. There was a James version of him singing Things Got to Get Better. Right. There was a Lynn Collins version, and there was a Marvel Whitney version. So then I made a mix where I put all three of them together, and I put the drum beat on the beginning. Same with uh, Unwind Yourself. Unwind Yourself, I did that. That was well. you? Yeah, I So did you was laying little traps. So one really of traps. Yeah, but I, Cats would come and jack it, and he'd be like, ah, he stole our shit. <laughs> so basically, well, you, you can, understand you what he's saying? You can see it as like, a trap, it. but it was... Yeah, it, it was but no, bigger but than he, that, I was trying to get the drums out of records that we couldn't get. Oh. I see that. So he was, cool, he was for saying, the concert. I'm setting them free, yeah. But it's also Give trap. us us free. Oh, I thought you were protecting. He would basically, he would take the original reels and make versions, put little drum intros on it. And then motherfuckers like me like, yo, you're in the open drums. And start taking it. And then. you Because you, <laughs> you thinking that he was the original source, but he just kind of. Yeah, I'm, I'm on. But no one ever really knew I did it. No, and then to back to the James Brown payback mix, it was like a lot of stuff that I pulled off of reels. And I think at that time, it was his 40th anniversary or whatever mm-hmm. it was. So I actually was in there and I just went through and made one big mix. But then I think his publishers wouldn't allow us to put it out because we were going to add it to the whatever Harry did at the time, the 40th anniversary mm-hmm. box set. Yeah. So we were going to add it to it. But they said, you know, you got 18, 25 records, whatever I did. So we couldn't do it. So I had Bugsy talk on the end, had Flex say something on the beginning, and then somehow it found its way on the vinyl. I don't know how. Because <laughs> um, it was just like, what did I work on that for five days for, you know, just basically just going there. through it. Just to sit there. But, you know, once again, it was for the culture. <laughs> that is crazy. For the culture. You. But I had access to James Brown stuff because my dad was at Polygram, because I knew people and they, you know, asked Oscar Wong, Harry Wenger. Did you work on in the Jungle Groove? Jungle Groove was out before me, before I was around, but I had a copy of it early, so I had a copy of the um what is that again? Well, that was Mother Load. That was the Mother Load, right? Yeah, yeah. Jungle Groove actually had, uh, that's what we used for Curtis Blow, um, for Back by Pop. Back by, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it should be called damn, damn that was you right. that's much better but though that stuff helped me out later when I was doing Nas's Get Down having a nice clean exactly yeah great shop that helped me when I was doing um, Where Are They Now you know mm-hmm. the clean damp, damp, damp. wait get on up get into it is, is on how come, I don't know put that is out there, yeah uh, is there a stereo version of that cause no, I, I, only just, keep- I just had the clean I had the drums I had I had the clean parts, so I was able to make oh, the record. Okay, I see. Into something else. Yo, man, I'm highly amazed at 
what he's saying. I, I know we're talking a mile a minute about. Yeah, because I was also thinking, I'm like, so does this mean, too, that you were like of the privilege you didn't have the issues that a lot of people had with the estate and whatnot that I yes. always hear about? Okay. All right. So <laughs> no, how no, many? He had, no, no, no. He had to clear like everyone else. But he, whereas we would take it from the records, mm-hmm. he would take it from the he original He just went session. to the reels. Oh, so the sound was a whole. Now in 2018, we can get back in 1990-something to get access to yeah, that was, the reels. That was Were you the only one shit. at the time of your age that was in no like an elite? Else, no way I can get that. No. Oh. <laughs> uh, I was beyond. I mean, I actually, it was on the Jiggy album even. Um, there was a couple dun, things. Dun, 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 dun. Toss it up. Not on that. It's funny how I ended up doing that, but not not on that. On um, all that glitters ain't gold, and a couple other songs, I might have used some pieces and mm-hmm. some cleaner pieces of different stuff. So how did how did you come in contact with Ziggy? Uh, Good rabbit hole here. So Dennis Davis mm-hmm. um, runs okay. into my dad. Dennis Davis is the drummer who played with Roy Ayers and with Stevie. Wait, your cousin? Oh, yeah. oh there he goes. Wow. All right, so Dennis. Dennis playing by himself, man. Dennis playing by himself, man. Yeah, exactly. So Dennis um, ran into my dad on 48th Street, Manny's somewhere, one of the record stores. He's like, hey, my uh, stepdaughter's got this boyfriend. He can rap or whatever it was. So I was like, okay. So then- I roll. <laughs> exactly. He can rap. So then they're going to bring him by. Hey, Salam, you know, I ran into Dennis. Okay. Yeah, you know, Dennis comes by at that time. He had, like, short dreads probably up to head. So Stevie looking. Exactly. So he was like, yo, I'm going to come by and um, bring this kid by. So he brings by this kid. You know, they got looking stuff. So it was actually a sound, Kenny from Jiggy. He was at the time dancing for YZ. And when he comes in, he's like, yo, you know, I can rhyme. And he starts rhyming. He's on his black power. So I'm looking at him like, I'm not giving you none of my real, real exclusive exclusive breaks i'm gonna see what you can do so i gave him samande i had a version of zion i kind of chopped up with a little substitution on it and he did something that sounded decent you know which actually ended up being on the album (laughs) then he's like well next time can i bring my boys because we all rock we in the whole crew we dress this way we dress fly jiggy this and that and you know my other boys dance with special ed and everybody else so can we come through we have really a jiggy tribe all the dancers wow so now i have you know Half of and then the there were five dancers. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. There was ten of probably there was actually all of them plus Ant who had Lyricist Lounge was with them. Oh, okay. Word. Um, Ant Marshall. So he's actually on the Jiggy album. Their per diem must have been and everybody horrendous. Else. So they were all just part of the crew, but basically we had automatic, you know, the crowd toss it up is like ninety people in there, but they were all Marquess from the Misfits. Like their whole crew was all there. Mis- mysterious Misfits? Exactly. Wow. So they were all okay. together because we I lived across at the time my studio was on the next block from Red Zone so we were like in and out but basically I was like your own studio or just it was like the studio that my dad had okay. was directly across from Red Zone like on 53rd between 9th and 10th um, and basically I'm looking at them like I'm not giving y'all a real beat because Diamond D was like why'd you just use like cramp your style substitution <laughs> right. like, all the obvious ultimate yeah. beats break and break <laughs> you know what I'm saying I put a little dun, 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 dun. oh cool that was all for the James Brown but he's like Diamond's like why did you ever do that like I see you at the break conventions with us why'd you do that and I'm like cause they're dancers you know they need to, and yeah. Flex had the thing we'd be like happy feet <laughs> happy feet dude sit down I'm about to play something else so he'd always be going at him so I was like cool I gave them that seeing what they could do but they may toss it up Cosmic Kev played the shit out of that in Philly. Where? Like, you're, 
your Philly royalty checks must have been high because that was like Toss It Up was like the anthem there. But it's funny you said that because if you remember when Premiere was on the show and I was trying to explain to you what he said that that what Lars Professor was mm-hmm. was doing for the like why would you give him such obvious shit? All the all the drums on J. Rue's first record was, was Captain Obvious, obvious shit. shit. Yeah. So I was either like either you were like, no, I'm not going to give you my good shit. You just get my throwaway payday money shit. Or <laughs> I'm going to challenge myself to turn all this crap yeah, into, into, into gold. Yeah. Right. Now Which is something I did as an exercise anyway, but it was still like, you know. Yeah, but could you, could you really time. afford your reputation to be... I mean, Substitution wasn't that old. You know... Th- th- this was 90 or 91? Ziggy was 92. It came out in 92, but yeah, when that happened, it was 91. Yeah, so, so Substitution was having a good- It was like Substitution, Amen, Brother, Crampier Style, Isaac Hayes. It was just like all basic, obvious stuff. But then once again, it was about the song, and that's where we got together because the beat was in, eh, yeah. but then they all came out of nowhere. Nah, that shit was a jam. Work. That, yeah. and, no, the shit worked in the club. And that's that's and then also I was with Flex and Chuck Chillout all the time because basically Chuck Chillout had this group Deuces Wild, Nine Double M Centipede, and the Funk Master Flex. So everywhere that Chuck went from '89 when he lived in the building in the studio with us, I was there with him. So when he got to Funk Master Flexes on the one and twos, they were using my turntables. Wait, so Flex wasn't. I thought Chuck Chillout was the main DJ and Funk Master Flex was like his record guy. Yeah, and I was the other person with Flex. So you had to carry the crates and all that stuff? All that stuff. How many crates was Chuck Chillout using at the time? Probably about four or five. But then when Chuck was talking, he was also, when basically Chuck got fired off a of kiss, when Chuck would mess up a kiss, Flex had the DJ for him. Chuck is late. Yo, Flex what quotas mess up? He wouldn't show up sometimes. Oh, I thought that um, sniff meant something. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes he wouldn't show up or he'd be all over the place. But basically, when he got to BLS now, because my dad had the relationship with Frankie Crocker, and Marley was no longer on due to whatever drama with In Control was not there. I don't mm-hmm. know what that was. Then basically, my dad was like, well, Chuck, you got to talk. So Chuck got turned to talking, and now Funk Master Flex is on the one and twos. Became oh, a phrase. Okay. And then they were using my turntables because Molly was always working on the basic, you know, pretty much mixing on the board. Right. Yeah. So now they're like, nah, we got to bring some 1200s in. So they were using my 1200s basically. And so you were there doing the whole magic of, wait, BLS or? Yeah. What? Yep. Wow. So basically my Fridays and Saturdays would be at the radio station all the way from that BLS time, being in the clubs with Flex in the you DJ. You flexing. Booth. Being with so close. this explains the freaking Fuji's remix and why Flex played it so goddamn much. <laughs> he actually liked it. No, but, no, no. I, I mean, it's a classic. <laughs> but but all right. So I'm. But I'm it helped. You. That relationship helped it, didn't it? No, more than a relationship. I'll tell you what happens. Um, from the time that Flex is in the clubs, whether it's Red Zone, Powerhouse, The Muse, Home Base, I'm there with him because he's used to having me everywhere, and I lived in Midtown. So as I'm in the clubs, I'm watching the door. 
yo, uh, Buster just walked in, play the leaders. He's trying to get no leverage. He asked Jessica to manage him. You know, mm-hmm. Jessica is doing everything else. But then he's upstairs in the room at the red zone. Triple C and K Capri and Clark are downstairs in the red zone. He's trying to get on. So whenever he goes different places, I'm his eyes. I'm watching the room. I'm seeing what's happening. So it's almost like how reggae has a selector that's kind of picking the songs. And then the guy that's actually mixing it, he's on the radio at BLS. I'm watching what's going on. I'm writing down the names of the songs that you're playing to give it to the guy who's going to say it, whatever it was. So when he first got to Hot 97, it's the same thing. Yo, Salam, I need you to come with me. Why? Because you know the I'm a safety net. Producing the show, pretty much, but not really being so like official. Veep, where the guy's always whispering uh, yeah, yeah, in the yeah. ears. Okay, this is the, the nah, yo, they just went to commercial, play the the right, the Ray Kwan, play the Wu Tang. Like, I'm watching the yeah, room because I'm seeing what's happening, and that just gave me a sharp edge on when I'm making records, the same way that Larry Levan would know how to make it something right for the dance floor. Then now my records are also sharper. So, really, what got Nappy has going because he wasn't a fan of the Fuji's from Boof Boff. Flex was Jamaican. Nobody was. Flex was a <laughs> Jamaican. Be like Badoof Badoff. Like real Badoof Boff. Are you serious? So he was really upset. But he's like, "What are you doing this week?" The Fuji's Boof Boff. Taish keeps bringing Boof Boff. <laughs> <sighs> but then I also knew as that record starts. Number one, I start a real really quiet. Your Nappy has. Lay some trees on us. Word. So I understood that it's quiet, then the snare comes in the war tour. It turns up. Can I ask you some question? Yeah. How do you feel about that mix? Of um Nappy Heads? Yes. The bass is very loud. Very, very loud. The studio that I mixed it in had a really compression room. So if you didn't catch it, the bass is super loud, but it worked. It sounded great on the radio. I was going to say, it sounds better on the radio. It No song frustrates me more to spin back when I was using wax to spin in the clubs mm-hmm. than the Nappy remix because it was so freaking silent. Mm-hmm. It was so it, low because the bass was so loud, right? But then you hear, like, when to hear Flex mix that shit on the radio, it was something else. It found I was like, yo, how come I'm not getting. You mean it comes in low and then it goes. No, just the way that's, that the record is, basically the, the room that I had at Soundworks, and that's where I mixed that, it was a compression room. So if I turned it up, basically, even if the bass was loud, like here comes the hot step, I had a loud bass like that. Mm-hmm. Different records I did kind of were just super bass heavy, but then the top end of it was crystal clear. So really, today we would have had a multi-brand compressor that would have just took the low end and pulled it down that 15 dB, yeah. and then everything else would have sounded as clear. But at that time, that was just the way it went, and I and got it, away with it. But yeah, you're right. The bass in the was age super of loud. yeah, in the age of CDJs, I definitely remember like having to do. I would make my own uh, nappy heads EQ. Nappy head EQ. <laughs> well, I do like I said, I did for Kanye like re EQ his shit because he uses way too much way bass. Too much bottom, yeah. Exactly. So, so within that, but also I knew that as the snare started, put that put that that's DJ. Then Chiba Chiba y'all, I'm a Libra y'all. Okay, cool. You know what? This one's all right. Chiba Chiba, y'all. I'm a Libra, y'all. You know what? It's not bad. All right, it's the Fugees. And then when he was writing his verse, I played the Come Clean instrumental. Mm-hmm. No, Come Clean acapella, and it, it ain't hard to tell acapella over the track. So wow. then he just fit into that pocket. So basically, the record was set up in a way where the DJ's going, Chiba Chiba, y'all. Chiba Chiba, y'all. Chiba Chiba, y'all. That's crazy. You got a water? That boom, <laughs> we already do halfway through the first verse before you can get the next record. So that was my 
DJ mind that thinking, was your... already knowing how to make the record that if you didn't like it, you already want to like something about it and start going. Okay, so explain your work with the Fugees and just what was that like? You came, you had nothing to do with Blood on Reality, correct? No, not at all. Um, so you came at the tail end of, of how did you manage to to even get to them? Weasel, so, well, not weasel your way in, but for, the, for you to gain them? their trust, because I know that basically what ended up happening was that um, I'd done Mega Benson Soundboy Killing, Killing yes. remix, which had the Barry White, you know, whatever it was. Me and was just the <laughs> out of it. We had, we had that tape. <laughs> exactly. So I was doing from my nerve from, from you did being, that. Yeah. That was goddamn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so. I did those pieces, but basically that came from being at BLS. Bugs is the MD. Bobby Condes is working in BLS. Bobby Condes sees me going to Hal Jackson's records, plucking out samples. Yo, I'm going to the studio. Can you come with me? Maybe you could program some beats for me. <laughs> so now in between whatever else I'm doing, trying to make the real hip hop, trying to keep up with the Pete's and premieres and large pros, I'm able to go with Bobby Condes and just sell him breaks that everybody used already for dance mixes, R&B mixes, reggae mixes. So he wasn't a producer per se? Bobby was a producer, but, but you did the work. I was the promote. I was doing programming for him of certain things. So he'd have a keyboard dude, but just like some real hip hop beats because he saw me coming in there, snatching breaks out of the library. And that's what was his office. That's what he said. Yo, what you got? So cool. Now I'm going to the studio making 300, 400, 500, 1,000. Just giving him breaks that everybody already used in hip hop for another purpose. But it was new and ready. Wait, I'm gonna ask right. you something. I'm gonna ask you something. Did you use a Willie Hutch sample for Bobby Condor's the 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 Ice T High Rollers joint? Do 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 That's yeah. easy. Did you use that shit for Amel before um, she got signed to Groove Theory? Yes, and Amel was on the record. That was her singing it, and she couldn't finish the vocal. And he actually took her lead off. So that was Amel's that first recording. Yeah, the um the she the, played me that shit, and ah, you did that shit. That was me. So I was working with Bobby, and we did the Mac Daddy, and we did that. Wait, you did Mac Daddy? Yeah, I did. I did probably most of the hip hop stuff on that album. So I did that. And which album is this? Just Bobby Condor's and Massive Sounds album. Okay, he he had a song called Mac Daddy that was like huge. You don't remember Mac Daddy? Bobby's from Philly. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, It was in the it was in the 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 dance hall set that got played at. So basically, that dance hall set. So the dance hall set at that time, from say ninety ninety one ninety two, was a combination of me standing in the booth with Flex, and then being around Bobby and saying, "Okay, to go from dance hall, which was heavy at the time." To hip hop, how are we gonna bridge this gap? Yeah. So now I was taking the hip hop and putting it together. So back to the Fuji's, which was your original question, they heard Jeff Burroughs was their product manager. And Jeff he, Burroughs? Jeff Burroughs okay, was okay. at Columbia as their product manager. And he heard the Mega Banson mix because I've been doing all this reggae and hip hop. He's like, and these cats are Haitian. I need something like that. That's what we need for the Fuji's to help get them off the ground. This ain't working. So then I think he might have been roommates or lived somewhere in there. Jessica, who was managing Flex at the time. Yo, this guy, Jeff, that knows Jessica, wants your number. All right, cool. I go up to Columbia. I'm already in the building working on Shaba or whatever else around there at the time. Shaba, Patro, you know. Would you do on Shaba? What was that? Would you tingling? 
I didn't do Tingling. I did Original Woman where I flipped the J. Rue sample. I did all the remixes. I did Patra's Think um, with Lynn Collins on it. Yeah. I got all my Lynn Collins records signed. Yeah, the Worker Man remix. I had that tape. Yes. I had that single as well. That was my The Worker Man remix. That was my shit. I did all those pieces. I was just like in the middle of the reggae and hip hop mix. Is, was that you playing keys on that remix? Yeah, on one of them because I think one is Chris McConnell's. <laughs> Yeah, the, I, I did, the one I did on there was actually, um, I think I used a little Richard drums on there okay. or something like that, if I remember correctly. 72, uh, yeah. the, the real thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the, the real thing. Joints. Well, basically, my whole MO was I was able to take these West Indian records and get them on the radio, get it going. You were the reason so. we were grinding the hip hop. <laughs> Okay, so I feel silly because as much traveling as I do and as many Airbnbs that I stay in because that's the only way I travel, I really have never considered my own space. I mean, think about it. What if you can make money for your next vacation while you're on vacation? And I know what you're thinking. You're like, my house is just not fancy enough. I just can't do the things. You're sleeping on your space. I'm sleeping on my space. Yes, I'm talking to myself. And I really don't even have to use my whole place. I could just Airbnb a room. I know how this works. Because again, I use Airbnb. Duh. I mean, just think about it. Most of us that use Airbnb are only using it for 50% of its power. We're spending the money, but we're not making the money. What if we could do both? Whoa. Mind-blowing. And your home really might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals. First caller? I had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free. Ooh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal? I paid for 20 tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange. Ooh. You got burned. Next caller. I traded in my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus. Hmm. How's that bad? I got to choose from their best plans. So what went wrong? Oh, nothing went wrong. And you're calling to... To request a song? You want a song. Of course. The choice is yours. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. What up, everyone? It's Lunchbox from the Bobby Bone Show, and I'm here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive. You can count on your new Camry to get you anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. 
So how come you never worked with Karis One, who's such a champion of, of mixing reg- reggae and hip hop together? Because Karis One would ask me, Salam. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm making an album right now. Why aren't you in my face? <laughs> like, that type of stuff. He, he left that on my voicemail one time. Karis One. Yo, has there ever been an artist that's been on this show that hasn't? More Talk, times than Karis. <laughs> no, that, that just hasn't used his <laughs> inflections. His impressions are great. I can't wait till he yeah. comes on this show. This yeah. is going to be. I've never met no one in hip hop that can't doesn't have a Karis impersonation. Yeah, yeah, like the articulation is just. It was that? It was that? Like, it was basically. Um, I was there when he made Madism. I'm all over the place. <laughs> oh, wait. Uh, okay. Every wait, time wait, someone talks like Karis, one they make him sound like a James Bond villain. James Bond villain. Like I always imagine there's like a Persian cat. Yeah, like a Persian cat. Yeah. Like he's basically trying to figure out how he Petting can derail your thoughts. So <laughs> Karis one, and I was sitting there, and I've been working with um, Channel Live. Dang, I'm all over the place. Nah, but basically, nah, I've been working it. with Channel Live, and, and what, so were you on the well, the first one, the Matt Ism station, station identification, identification, yeah. Right, so I did probably four or five songs. So basically, um, Tuffy was in the, no Karis one did it, but basically okay. while so I was at the studio. Do. I did Bush Babies and Tuffy was that working at the studio's intern. So he's like, when I get my deal, I want you to work on my album. So when he got the deal eventually through KRS with Capital for station identification, he's like, yo, I want you to work on it. So I'm doing beats for them, but KRS hadn't met me in person. So the day they were doing Madism was the first day I was going to D&D and, you know, the premiere room mm-hmm. over there. All right, cool. So I'm sitting there. And he starts, so, Slum, do you specialize in jazz beats? <laughs> Are jazz beats your specialty? And I was like, nah. So he does. I, like, I specialize in black music. Uh, and when I said to him, I specialize in music, like, oh, okay. And then later on, he was like, oh, yo, your boy kind of shut me up. He said, I specialize in black music. I was like, what was going to say? Yo, did you I do rerun beats? things? I'm just... I, I, didn't do we were, I didn't remember. You remember we, we uh, remix, right? Oh, yeah, remember we. Okay. Wait, wasn't yeah. Bush Babies we won things too? But, uh, yeah. they, that was what, Ali Shahi. Okay, so I'm 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 coming so, back so to I'm coming back, back to Nappy back Heads. To nappy Heads. So basically, Jeff Burrows is like, you can make the Caribbean stuff work. Can you get with this group? He comes. I was like, all right, cool. At the time, they were managed by David Sonnenberg and Bernard Alexander. Yeah, they were. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And at that time, they had Biz. Wait, who, let me say this. There oh, you they go. were. They there were. We go. Those guys. So David, who was definitely a character, <laughs> yeah, was a fan of my personality because we had a, a earlier a business arrangement through Annie Kamosi. So there was a time when there was a group called Natural Selection asked me to produce them. I Natural said, Selection. They anything, were on anything, AS West. West. East West. East West, yeah. And they basically had a record, and the guy, the black guy, it was a black guy and a white guy in the group, and the black guy really wanted me to do some beats. He had rented my studio. He was like, yo, I heard you doing these beats. So I went to meet with David. I listened to it. I was like, nah, it's a pop record. Um, you're wasting your money. Keep your money. I'm good. But, I, but for me being 18 and 19 years old and not taking his money and telling him, oh, you're nice on Riverside Drive. Keep your money. I don't need your record. Because I always pick what records I wanted to work on and didn't just work with anybody. <laughs> they were like running 10. So now when the <laughs> Fugees come up, they're managed by David. And he's like, oh, wow, Salam, I can get back to him. He'd already sent me Ainy Kamozi probably around that time to start working on the demos that became Here Comes the Hot Stepper. And then also, Jeff Burroughs said it. And I was like, oh, Columbia? All right, cool. I know what to do here. I know who I'm dealing with. So then it was uh, Christmas 
it was right after Thanksgiving of 93. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that last check after, you know, being in the business at that time, I understood that after Thanksgiving, you couldn't get a two signature check until probably like after the Grammys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the industry's gonna, closed. You're going to be stuck. <laughs> and if you didn't get your check from Sony before April, you was dead. So I understood what was going on. And I was like, yo, I need to get one more check. Christmas is coming. So then Eric Sermon wanted 15 grand. I think I agreed to do it for 10 or whatever it was. Got a couple dollars. And then they came by my apartment. At that time, I was living on 50th between 8th and 9th. I had part of the beat prize. Um, was like, yo, you know, my friend Kobe, you know, big up Kobe Brown, was, um, you know, always talking about you at college. Wyclef's like, yo, you got to meet the girl. I played them basically the loop of the drums and, you know, the, what, what did I use them? Yeah, that was the, um, same thing. Yeah, well, not the Buster Wins, but the, I just had basically had the vibes in that. And it was the same album that Pete used for Pete's sake. I can't remember what it is, right. the White Album. But basically, I was just like kind of chopped that up. And then I was like, oh, we're going to the studio. So we went in the studio. And Wyclef freestyle for uh, two full times on the reel. I have still the recordings of like 20 minutes of him just freestyling. Then I went back and took the different parts. So you just pieced it together? Well, I, I went back and told him, okay, we're going to keep that. That your Mona Lisa, that's the hook. Um, yo, this ah fly away. You know, we're gonna keep that part. Yo, Chiba Chiba. Like I basically took he had uh Chiba Chiba y'all and I'm gonna leave with y'all. If that was something I was the last reason dinosaur, like he had all these pieces and I just took like four or five pieces of what he said during that twenty minutes and said, This is your verse. Now we're gonna say that with the chill out Wyclef tone rather than the loud <laughs> Wyclef yeah. tone. And basically that's where the record started. Pre Pro Tools? Pre Pro Tools, yeah. But I didn't, we didn't. I didn't actually edit it. I actually told him, "This is the part we're gonna keep. This is the part we're gonna keep. This is the part we're gonna keep." And, then and they they cut then, it over then, again. Then they redid it. it. Yeah, then he reset it in a more because Wyclef has this meanie money tune voice that I kind of refer mm-hmm. to, where he kind of talk raps and you know that other space. So that's basically how Nappy Heads came up. Lauren had her verse. We kind of, it was all my That's Miss Hill to you. <laughs> At the time, as I learned this week, <laughs> before she had the Miss on the Hill. Right. Um, basically. Oh, was that was a double on times, right? No. Nah, I'm never. Playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. <laughs> but basically, before it was there, it was just like her priest, and then Proz had his part, and that session became the Nappy Head, basically. And that, you know, started it going. Then I did a remix of Vocab. Then they did a remix of Vocab that really became the real proper one. Mine's did you do the like the slow spacing? Yeah, there was Shelly Man with the a Black Sabbath drums. Okay, so what? I guess by this point, did you decide that your entry is going to be like hard ass drums with this sort of psycho psychedelic? Uh, I don't think I don't know if I because I, I could tell Salam Remy like there's always there's a beautiful flute breezy element to your work with some hard ass drums under it. I, I think that's uh, there's always like when people would ask me my favorite producer back then it was like Monk Higgins and it was Monk Higgins because he always had all of this orchestral stuff happening on the top and then ba boom boom ba boom boom it was like a, a groove that was rocking so I still love the juxtaposition of you know, a vamped out groove that still got me there. But then I love melodies. I like that. I like Marvin Gaye for the same reason. Like the I Want You album, I feel like the drums, the bass and drums put me in a pocket, but then the orchestrations of the music and the vocals kind of take me somewhere. 
So that's kind of like my Beauty and the Beast. You know, my Jamaican engineer called it Chris and Cronny. <laughs> um, the top end Chris, but the bass Cronny. Like it's just always that energy that we, we go for, that we want to have, you know, it's a pretty face and a fat ass, basically both. Bang, who, bang. Who, was, who was your go-to engineer back then? Um, or you just work with who you were given, or did you have a nah, preference? Well, I had my own studio, so I was always kind of keeping my people around. So um, at first, my father's partner, Edison, who actually produced a lot of <laughs> stuff with him and was doing a lot of stuff. But then Gary Noble started working with me in 1991. Okay. And you know, to this day, Gary still makes a lot of my records. But um, yeah, he, from 1991, he would just he'd be working at the hospital, then he'd come see me. After in between, we'd be doing stuff, and he was pretty much the main recording and, you know, main recording and mix engineer probably from 93 forward, at least, something like that. Now, you mentioned Biz earlier, um, and I know that you're good friends with Biz. Yeah. Have you just ever had a normal moment with Biz where it wasn't just, like, trying to one-up you? Like, anytime I see Biz, I mean, it's like 20 years ongoing. It's always a one-up game. Hey, hey, Quest, you got this? You got this. I, I got so. this. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's yeah. my favorite. Come, Come on. on. All right. First of all, what what is your take on uh, uh, the Mardi Gras situation? On his Mardi Gras situation. I mean, Biz got stories, and he always will find a way to do something. I had it over here. I put it over there. I mean, the funny part <laughs> is, is that during that time when I was working with him, he had a period where he would just come to my house, which was you no. Know, I had a room basically that had like three crates of records and it was the room that I basically made the ghetto red hots and everything else. And, and I had a half broken chair, like a chair where the back wasn't on it. And biz would come there and sit at my house for five, six, seven hours a day and just be sitting there. Come on, what you got now? You got something else in here, funky. What else you got? And I would always be in the city going through stuff. My boy Raheem that worked at downstairs records in different places would be with us. So we'd always be coming through doing stuff, but Biz would just sit there all day like, what else you got? That's funky. So I, I had um, different beats, and, you know, he that was the time when he was doing, I guess it was the album with, um, the one he got sampled, the one he got uh, sued for. The, uh, I, need I Need a haircut. haircut. I Need a Haircut. So around the time he was doing it, I Need a Haircut, he would always be at my crib um, just going through stuff, looking for beats, looking for little pieces. Raggedy Man might show up sometimes, be writing rhymes for him. You mentioned... Uh, like those record conventions, yeah. Like t- for our listeners, and by our listeners, I mean me. Um, describe that's one thing I never got to do because, like, just the whole like we're we're a bunch of uh, hotel um, hotel record vendors right rent out a ballroom, right. and you like who's the first in line? Like who's well, basically, sleeping outside. Who's well, yeah? What, what was yeah, really yeah, happening with um, what was really happening with the record conventions? It was great because we found out. You know, before that, sometimes we would get together and you know go shopping, go to Princeton, go to A One. You know, me and Rashad might go here, or me and Lynn Funk was my boy. So we would always go to different places. A lot of us kind of met in downstairs at different points, and some of them actually worked there. Mm-hmm. Trouble that worked in downstairs still works for me now. It's my studio manager in Miami. Like different people would be around, but with the record convention. Basically, we discovered this place. I don't know who discovered it first, but where 
all these people would come and sell rare records, but of course they knew that they were rare and they were kind of playing the game. And there were certain people who would actually go to some of the vendors before the day of the record convention and try to buy whatever the key stuff was or already have dibs on it. Mm -hmm. So T-Ray would do that with certain people. Oh, there was wow. a guy, Gary from Connecticut, that would have certain records. I like, know Gary. So Gary would be doing stuff. Um, there was just certain people, you know, Bob Gibson from Boston would have a lot of records, so I would always be dealing with him. And sometimes he would send me, like, a box of records and let me pick what I want and send the rest back. Like, what? Yeah. A I mean, trust system? Somewhat. <laughs> I, he probably got burned a couple times. <laughs> but, you know, things happen, you know. But, but in general, that was kind of, like, the energy of it. But at the record convention, just off the top of my head. Who's there? Like who's Pete Rock, Q-Tip. Uh, Premier will pop up sometimes. Juju from Beat Nuts, Less sometimes. Uh, T Ray, Prince B, Craig Coleman. Um, of course, Craig Coleman. Who else would be there? Just breakheads, you know, most Buckwild, Finesse. Yeah, yeah, the um, Show sometimes. Diamond would definitely be there. Rashad would be there. When did it Those, start? When did it start to get ugly? Like, I I came up in a time in which like you know Pete would. Allegedly, and I'm winking. You know, berate certain dealers for giving records out, or you know, yeah, I, I mean, hear that Biz would buy out records and Biz would. Do, I mean, certain times because people didn't like the fact that you would go and try to buy something that's exclusive, and then you're giving it to three other people who are in the same business as you making beats. So if somebody has something, and I found this thing, I asked him to find this record for me, but then he found two copies and sold it to somebody else just like me. And at that time, you know, I might go there and spend $2,000 on records, 3000 and my dad would be like, Looper Vandross, what are you doing? Like, why, <laughs> Looper Vandross. <laughs> why are you doing this? Why won't you actually play some music? And I'd be like, uh, well, if I sell this one beat, I just made 10. So why are you complaining? Like, I made 10 or 15. This is just part of the craft, mm -hmm. you know. But in general, that whole space, you know, it just got ugly after a while because it was just too many people looking in the same space. So was it, like, was it a breathless race to the finish if you found, like, a certain Monty Alexander record or that sort of thing? It was like just elbows and too many people because now you were going, I think certain people like Tip and Premier just stopped going because... You, they didn't want to go shopping where everybody else was, and it became too much. You know, after a while, it's like Christmas. You feel like everybody's getting you because they know that they can get you, and they want you to spend more money. And you know, of course, yeah, Prince B would be there buying. You know, paying top top dollar, coming there, walking out with three big bags before some people would even get there. And then they started letting some people in early, and it become favoritism. You know, just like a club to turn into bottle service tables and everything else. <laughs> hey, what about the music? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it just became a little bit of that but I kind of faded off of it after a while it was cool but I faded off of it because I preferred to you know the beginning and up yet those are dollar bin records and like it's like I'm just trying to get something that's right and I started playing a lot more and that kind of switched a little bit of my perspective on it but once again it was a good resource and an exercise to have because you go there and, you know, you see everybody on a Sunday morning. Some people's breath was definitely humming. Some of them had the dry spit around their mouth. We know who they are. Um, you know, it was just like that type of energy. But, you know, it's, it's, it was a great hip-hop space. You know, after we didn't have the break beats and certain things giving us a whole lot of um, automatic breaks, it was just a great place to be. And camaraderie, you know, I remember Diamond being there, yo, you can introduce me to the Fugees, you know. Uh, wow. Is that that's how, they oh, did, that's uh, how that happened. Yeah. Okay. Having uh, the score. Who's the mastermind behind the score? 
Like, because there were so many producers. Like, who gets the... I... Well, basically, the, the Fuji's as an element, I'm clear that um, Lauren is soul to the max. Wyclef is eclectic. <laughs> and that's what he's still... If you look at, you know, just their voices and what they do, they continue to be that. But Proz was a popper. If you look at um, the score... Alive. If you look at the score, it says executive producer Proz, co-executive producers Wyclef and Lauren. Proz um, has the the beast's not loud enough. What's the hook? I don't get it. Air, you know, uh, the staying alive was produced by Proz. Yeah. I mean, on on Wyclef's Carnival, Proz did Guantanamo and Staying Alive. The rest of the album was pretty much done, but it was like we need singles. That was Proz going, yo. I need to put something together that's actually going to stick this together. Then, you know, later on his Ghetto Superstar records, that's him. That's his air of certain types of records in the middle. Even though Wyclef is more hands-on talented and has other things to it, his air was the person that put it together. And then also a lot of the score was built around Fujila, um, which I did first. I was working on songs for Clockers, and I did a song with the Fujis that there was, we have a song that never came out called uh, Project Heads. And basically, it was real jazzy and, and that type of uh, Spike Lee in my mind zone. Mm-hmm. But Spike didn't want to use it. Um, really? And then during that session, Wyclef, Lauren was like, play the Fat Joe beat. Play the beat you did for Fat Joe. Because I made the Fujila beat for Fat Joe. Ah. Fat oh. Joe came to the crib. He's like, you keep giving them the beats. Hey, hey, hey. It ain't them. It's the beat. It's the beat. So <laughs> Fat Joe and Chris Lighty came to my apartment. I was like, all right, cool. It's Tuesday. Come back on Friday. Joe comes back by himself with another dude. Chris isn't with him. He's like, I don't know. It's either fat or it's not fat at all. I can't tell. Lauren comes by. I'm playing them some beats. The beat that I use for Greg Nice is, let's take it back to the, the old school. school. Right. Let's take So that actual record is what I wanted to give the Fuji. She's like, it sounds like we did it already. It sounds kind of tribe. We did that already. That sounds like nappy heads. So then the next beat comes on and it's Fuji line. She's like, see, that's what I'm talking about. That's disgusting. So during that session for the Project Heads record, she was like, yo, play the Fat Joe beat. I'll play it. And then um, <laughs> Wyclef jumps it. up. We used to be number 10 and spits his verse. Wow. And I was just like, that was a moment. All right, cool. So you know what? We need to record that. So before they even really had the budget for the score, I had a studio. They came back and we finished recording Fuji La. They got their second budget open. And then if you listen to how Cowboys sounds, which I think Forte did Cowboys or a co-producer, whatever, a lot of the records were made to kind of fit around the eclectic sound, the eclectic sound of Fuji La. What other records did you do on the score? I can't. That's it. It was just, it was just Fuji Live. So, so I mean, they ran out of budget to pay me. So basically, they took their budget and got their equipment. <laughs> I told them the story. Like, oh, my dad did it. You know, he's like, go to the music store. Yo, I got this. I'm gonna give you this much in this many days. We are gonna get this budget, and they used it to buy the MCI board, put it in the booger basement, did all their pieces, recorded whatever was there, hired Warren Riker to do what it need to be, and then you know, Sean King did. How many mics and a couple beats? Jerry was, of course, getting his chops on, mm-hmm. playing bass, putting stuff together, and then even Killing Me Softly, which Lauren originally wanted me to do her solo record for the album. Proz called me and said, Yo, um, you know the record Killing Me Softly? And this song? If you was going to do that record, how, how, would, how would you do that? <laughs> um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Do the yeah. rhythm. <laughs> Yeah, I probably do kind of like flip, flip it like you no know, bleed apple bomb. 
Oh, that's the same thing I was thinking. I'll call you right back. <laughs> <laughs> the swindle. <laughs> How would you do it? <laughs> Yo, yeah, I know. I know what happens. Yo, where's that record? Benny the Applebaum. I got an idea. I got an idea. I know prize. <laughs> you just said that. Yo, this and that. Then even if you, if you listen to "Killing Me Softly," the beat, the baseline on it is just like nappy heads. Ba boom, ba boom, 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 ba boom. I never said something on nappy heads. The bass notes are like the the Dwick, the ah okay and so it's boom 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 if you took that and unfiltered it you hear tip go drastic no 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 what wow this is super super rap nerd shit Yo, and it's just filtered like a motherfucker. Yeah, because I don't know somehow I don't know how I ended up having that, but I ended up having it in a piece, and I actually just filtered. Or I think I might have just recorded it with just the bass up. But that is from. It gets drastic. See, just took the low bass tone. You bastard. So in so that so killing me softly is basically a copy of that. In hindsight, and uh, you know, part family member and part outside of looking in, whatever. Do you think that after 18 million copies of that album sold, did it serve them well or not? Hmm. Uh, 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 sorry to interrupt you, but you know, to hear Salam's answer to that question. Tune in next week for part two of Quest Love Supreme Interview with Salam Remy. We'll also talk more about Nas, Amy Winehouse, Cannabis, and much, much more. All right, see you next time. Quest Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hi, it's Sugar Steve from Quest Love Supreme. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So, check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right, cash back isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Are you looking to build this year? If so, there is no better time than right now to start planning and to get your spot on the construction schedule. If you need a garage, a stall barn, a storage for vehicles, RV, boat, collectibles, or even a, a shop for your farm, hobbies, or car restoration projects, visit mortonbuildings.com and start your construction process with superior materials craftsmanship best in class warranty morton buildings are made to last for generations at morton 
The difference is in the details. From their cutting-edge innovations to their craftsmen in the field, they are dedicated to surpassing expectations. Their legacy of excellence spans more than 120 years, and Morton Buildings is 100% employee-owned with more than a quarter million satisfied customers. That means they're the industry leader you can trust. When you choose Morton, you'll experience quality at every step of the building process, starting before the walls even go up. Visit mortonbuildings.com to get started today.